So one of the things that we're going to talk about today is we're, we're going to do these next, these next three weeks in, in uh, rounds, rounds, right? Like round one, round two, round three. And I'm a guy, so for me it's like ding, 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 the rounds, right? And where I get that from? There's this really weird thing that happens in Job, which is obvious but easy to miss as well, that Job's friends show up, and we're talking about that, why they come, but they kind of tag team Job. And you know, if you're in a good tag team, you've got people on your side, you can tag them in when you're tired of fighting. But Job has nobody to tag in. On his side of the ring, he's all by himself. And the friends keep coming. And I was going to really lay on that like, man, why are these friends like beating him up like this, right? Like it's round one and Job's like just trying to fend off Eliphaz. And then all of a sudden here comes Bildad. Hey, I'm fresh, baby. Let's go. And then he got to deal with Bildad and then Bildad. And here comes Zophar. And Zophar's like, woo, woo, you know? And it's like, guys. And, he, and one of the things that we'll see in the pattern is this gets it degrades, this conversation degrades and becomes more and more personal on both sides and more and more harmful on, for all involved. Um, so I'm not putting Job up, he's just great, you know, but it, God does say in the end, he never spoke untruthfully about me. And speaking of Job, he might have crossed the line with God in his questioning, but he never said things that weren't true of God. He was experiencing a real thing. And so, but I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, that's one side to, to read it, but it's another side where Sometimes when you're going to help a friend, you just wear out. I mean, you know, you just, and not that you have to have answers, but just your presence. You know, they did seven days, seven nights sitting there with him on the ground, and they could have been tired, you know? And maybe whenever Eliphaz finally spoke, you know, Bill dead and so far, like, finally, we're going to make some movement here with our friend Job. I don't think that they didn't love him. Why would they waste their time if they didn't care about him? They would not waste their time. And then whenever Eliphaz kind of gets beat up by Job, because that's what happens, Job rebukes him. Now Bildad goes, let me try. If you had a situation before, I've had it before where I'm just wore out with a situation. I'm just at my end. I don't understand. And someone comes in fresh and they're like, hey, I called so-and-so. I'm going to go spend time with him. I'm like, oh, praise God. Tag. You know, get in there, baby. Not beating him up, but even just ministering people. So I don't want to be too hard on them um, in that. Another thing that happens in the Bible a lot of times is God reveals himself in threes, right? You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but you have like these repeated revelations. Um, Jesus would often say, uh, truly, truly, I tell you, right? And he drops the fact. That's like, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, and I'm saying it like a real uh, affirmation of what God is doing. And maybe in your own personal life, uh, Becky talked about God's revelation, but maybe in your own personal life, like that's the thing that you can go, I need to hear that a few more times from you, God. Not that we demand it, but I'm not sure if that's your, my own mind sometimes. So God reveals himself in threes, and that's interesting too that Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar could be um, just this repeated revelation trying to get something from Job. I'm convinced that God wants something from Job. He didn't just pick on him. He picked him. He chose him for this purpose. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about Eliphaz the Temanite. And I told you last week, I want to remind you again, because we're going to kind of do one intro of each of these gentlemen a week and go a little deeper. And his name actually has God, L, in it. And I want to say again, in case we missed it, that the book wrestles between the God Elohim, which is the plural of El, or uh, Elihu, which is the singular of El. El is a general God. It can actually apply to any God, but it means a God. And then Elihu is the God, and Elohim is the God's God. Right? And so it's this multiple iterations of the same word L. And his name actually, Eliphaz, is L, is refined gold. The book is a wrestling between that and Yahweh, the covenant God. When Satan goes before him, the Lord, it's Yahweh, not Elohim, not L, El, not Elihu, not Elihu, that's the dude's name. 
there's a singular version of that. And so, uh, but he goes before Yahweh, and so we're going to see that movement. But Eliphaz, the Temanite, he's from the right-hand region, it's northern Edom, the people of red, the red people. This would have been a, a remembrance of um, uh, Jacob and Esau and the Edomites in that area, uh, uh, Teman. And um, he believes, I mean, you, okay, I'm going to say this and, you know, what he believes. But you can see him right away. He's going to take Job to task over God things because he knows Elohim, uh, Elohim, um, uh, Eliphaz has the most to say to Job. I broke these books down, these conversations down three ways. I broke them down. I took all of Eliphaz's conversations and put them front to back. It's the longest dialogue, 15 pages as I did it, right? It's also the, the first round is the longest round. So this will be the most we cover in a day. You may be grateful for that. But he has the most to say to Job. He has the most challenges for Job. And he speaks um, most directly, although they all speak of God, he speaks most directly about what he's not happy with in Job. Uh, You'll see today, obviously, Eliphaz is the first to speak. And he speaks the first each round. That doesn't have to be so necessarily. And it could be the structure of the narrative or whatever. But Eliphaz comes back up and speaks again and speaks again. And so he has all three rounds that he goes with Job. He's going to fight till the end to understand what's happening and, and to, for him, himself as well, himself. In the, today I'm going to call uh, Eliphaz, though, uh, friend one, because I don't want you to get hung up on the name necessarily. I want you to know he has this righteous understanding of God and who God is, God's refined gold, but he's just the first friend to speak. And, and we're going to talk about uh, that today. So we'll call him friend one today. We're going to do what we always do now. We're going to pray, and then we're going to get into God's word, um, starting in Job, the end of Job 3. Father God, we thank you so much for your wisdom you've given to us, and we thank you for the opportunity you've given us as a community of faith to discern truth. And we also know and confess openly we are prone to error. I am prone to error. And Lord, what we need from you is you to teach us in our spirit, in our soul, who you are. We don't need to have perfect head knowledge. Matter of fact, I'm reminded, Father, that the fundamental sin in the Garden of Eden was to want to know what you know, good and evil in all of its forms. And, and, and what a tragic uh, desire that you've built into us in that way that we, we would want to supplant your role as God and, and fail by judging you. So help us today to not put ourselves above you, but under you, under your teaching, that you and your, whole, your Holy Spirit would teach us uh, in our innermost being that we would uh, learn more about your plan for redemption in our lives, that we would um, become better followers of Jesus. We pray, Father, for the revelation that you would have for us, that you would get granted, that we would receive it, and that indeed, Father, we could live differently because we've encountered you. Not the book, not knowledge, but you are living God. So, Lord, would you teach us today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick up here. I want to remind you of Job's condition. We kind of ended here last week, and then we're going to jump into Eliphaz, friend one's uh, dialogue a little bit. I'm going to start in verse uh, 24. Job says this, Sighing becomes... Uh, comes to me instead of food, or my food, my daily food becomes sighs, and my groans pour out like water. This is Job's condition at the end of his, his, his dialogue, or his monologue is what it is, really. I told you this last week. What I feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest 
but only turmoil. And that's quite a confession for him to make to his friends. After all this silence and after this huge lament, which he must have known in some way was riding the edge of what's acceptable amongst his friends, right? We're gonna hear that from Eliphaz today. But he says, and I want you to hear it, sighing has become my food. It means that for all this time, we talked about the, the scraping of it, but he has no appetite. He's probably withering away, wasting away. The, the only thing that he can consume is his size, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been so upset you can't eat, right? I talked to a friend yesterday and they said, I got a phone call, I sat down to a nice meal with one of my kids, I got a phone call, and immediately we lost our appetite. No matter how nice the banquet was, no matter how much work went into it, no matter how much you were looking forward to this meal, we couldn't eat. They said we managed to choke a little food down, and we went on to deal with the problem. News that comes, things that happen that cause us not to eat are deep, hurtful, painful things. Um, they cause us to uh, um, stop what we're doing, and the very essence of life, right, the very thing that keeps us alive becomes non-appetizing, non-interesting to us. Even our own self-preservation, he says, size has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. So then he confesses these things. He has no peace and only turmoil. And then we're going to pick up, because in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, this is what it says. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? I'm just going to stop right there. First thing I want to say is that friend one is being impatient with Job. There's this kind of a concept of like um, confession through projection. The thing that you accuse someone else of is probably something you struggle with. If there's someone in your life that drives you absolutely crazy, it might be because they're just like you and you would drive yourself crazy. Eliphaz in this moment, I just can't hardly get my head around. I know he said there seven days, but Job just pours it out. And he says, I have no peace, only turmoil. And the first thing that Eliphaz says is, if someone ventures a word, will you be patient? You have no peace. Can I say some things to you right now? You only know turmoil. Sighing is your daily bread. Let me tell you what I'm thinking is going on here. He's, he's not patient with Job. And then he says this, and I'm, there's a couple times in here today I'm going to say dangerous words. Dangerous words. Because friend one says, but who could keep from speaking? He asked the question of Job, could, I, could you be patient if I have something to say to you? And then immediately says, it doesn't matter, I'm going to say it anyway. H have you ever had that moment in your life? Well, somebody's got to say something. I mean, if nobody's going to say, I'm going to say something, dangerous. Am I saying it's always wrong? No. No. But there, that idea that if we aren't the one to speak it, if we aren't the one to say it, can be the precipice of failure. You are right on the brink of making a mess because it's just got to be said. There's, there's, there's an impatience with Job's um, own inner dialogue that he is going to, you know, going to bring some wisdom, but who can keep from speaking? What's a better solution then practically, right? When you start to think who can keep from speaking, it might be better to hold 
or at least weigh your words, right? Thoughtless words tumble out. You just say things. You don't even know what you said. I just had to say something. What'd you say? I don't know. That's dangerous. So maybe you start to go, and maybe you eventually do say something you've thought out a little bit, or maybe you don't say it at all. I said to you last week, I wonder, you know, because Job's opening lament, he's just, I mean, it's a big one, but he's just crying out to God. And he's, he's lamenting the day of his birth. He's, he's questioning his, his role as creator. He's, he's wishing that his day of conception hadn't happened. And now the friend's going to drop some knowledge. A better, better plan is to wait and hold our words, to weigh our words out. He's, he's impatient with Job's wrestling with his own faith. What does it say? But who can keep from speaking? Verse 3, think of how you have instructed so many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who've stumbled, and you have strengthened faltering knees. Right? So that's a buildup. He's like, Job, you've done a lot of good for people. You've gone when their crisis, you've helped them through their catastrophe. You've always been the one strengthening their knees and helping them stand up on the day of tribulation when it comes. But look at verse five. But now trouble comes on you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? See, Eliphaz has seen Job give some help people before. And he's like, what were you saying all that stuff for? Doesn't it matter to you? Don't you know better than to suffer like this? He's not comfortable with Job's wrestling. He's not comfortable. He's not, he's not patient with Job going, I don't know. It's not working. There's this uh, realization that we have in life, I think perhaps, not always, but as we age and mature, that we realize we know less and less. I, I have this theory about youth pastors, just putting this out there, by the way, you shouldn't probably youth pastor until you've had a teenager. Because when you're young, it's far too easy to go, yeah, those parents don't know what they're doing, watch this. But you don't know what you're doing. And you know how I know that? Because I know what I was doing. Was it helpful? I think, I hope. I hope it was honoring God. But ultimately, when you live through teenagers, and I love my teenagers, I'm not mad at them. Oh, baby. You run out of bandwidth. You run out of road. You run out of rope. And all the words that you gave other people come back into your mouth, into your mind, into your heart, into your life, and you just repent. You go, I can't believe I said that stuff so flippantly. They were suffering. And I gave them advice. No. Far better to weigh our words. Far better to hold our tongue. Have you ever given someone good advice? And then later faced the same thing and found, wow, that wasn't good advice at all? I mean, I'm not trying to get us to keep from loving each other and ministering, but I wonder, have you had those experiences in life where it seems so right when it wasn't you, but it seems so wrong when it's you? Indeed, when others parrot your words back to you, should not your piety be your confidence? See, here's some things you're working on, and your blameless ways, your hope? He's going to ask him some things. Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? They have a view of the world where the good are blessed and the bad are, are condemned, period. Instant justice always. 
As I have observed, those who plow evil and who sow will, will reap it. And at the breath of God, they're destroyed. The blast of anger, they will perish. The lions roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the club, cubs are scattered of the lioness. So, you know, the lioness. And so this is his thing. Like, it's, it's, if you're good, you're fine. If it's bad, it's bad. Get it straight, Job. We've always believed that. But Job has been claiming I've done nothing wrong. And we know God agrees with Job. He's done nothing wrong to deserve this. One more thing here that happens, and, and there's more than this, but I can't cover all of Eliphaz. But verse 12 says this, a word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Amid a disquieting dream in the night, when deep sleep falls upon people, fear and trembling seized me, and it made my bones shake. Listen to the word. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair of my body stood on end. The spirit stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. I wonder, is that the kind of revelation you want? We get no judgment from the book. Is this God speaking to Eliphaz? Is this uh, an angel? Is this an enemy? Is this a demon? Is this, uh, who knows? But Eliphaz is like, last night I had this vision and I just have to tell you what was said to me. In the middle, and we said last week, in the middle of spiritual warfare, we have to be discerning about what is being revealed to us. This is why, by the way, practically, we compare our experience to the scriptures right? And we also compare our experiences to other people. We're honest about what, what do you think this means? We hold those things very loosely because we don't know if they're good or bad, what their intentions are. What was the intention of the spirit that came to life as the night during his sleep that wouldn't let him sleep? He was seized, he was frozen, and the hair stood up. And here's the question, and I want you to hear it, 17, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? You read that and go, that's a great question, right? Eliphaz, count on your piety as your righteousness, your holy ways. Can you be more righteous than God? Listen to this. If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed readily like a moth, between dawn and dusk, they're broken to pieces, and unnoticed they perish forever. Are not the cords of a tent pulled up that they die without any wisdom? This, this spirit, this revelatory spirit, is questioning the value of man. This, I think, is a key that it might not be of God. Now, we don't get it, but it might not be why. Because where has Hasatan been roaming back and forth on the earth, seeing whom he could devour, seeing whom he could have, right? And he, he, he has this revelation in the middle of the night, and the question is, can man be more righteous than God? If God doesn't keep from judging his own sons, which is who are gathered before him, how do you think you're going to survive as a person? It's, it's, it's reflective of a battle happening between God and heaven and the spirit realm and humanity. And it's causing uh, the revelations to cause the life as to cause Job to question his own value to God. Who do you think you are that God would mess with you? What, what, what do you think is going on here? Because Eliphaz has no vision for what's truly happening, that God is involved in this, and there is a spiritual battle, and there is an enemy who seeks to, to see Job, what? Deny God to his face. 
to curse his maker. He says, who do you think you are? Passing as you are. What's the takeaway? Be cautious about special revelation. I, I just, I almost wish, you know, we get it. It is what it is. It's spiritual warfare, but be discerning. I always think about taking a captive. There's things I've had happen to me since I've been a Christian. I can't explain. You know what I don't do? Talk about it. Why? What value is there? We talk about the Bible. We talk about Christ. We talk about the Holy Spirit of God and his work in our lives. Maybe, maybe we share those stories occasionally because it's not the point. And it's certainly not more important than the scripture that led us there. It's not more important than the Christ who saved us. It's not important than the Holy Spirit who's leading us out of our sin and brokenness. Special revelation. You ever heard that? God gave me a vision, and I just had to tell the world, really? God needed you to do that? One final stop here, and I'm going to see if I can just find it. Yeah. Verse 3 of chapter 5. Here's where it starts to get ugly. This is one of those, every time I read this, I go, oof, right there. Oof. Chapter 5, verse 3. I myself, Eliphaz says, have seen a fool taking root, and suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. Oof. Why is that a big deal? Do you remember what happened? The desert winds blew, the house collapsed, and his kids were killed. Do you remember what happened? Job used to make sacrifices lest his kids sinned against God. And here his friend, Eliphaz, dares to say, I see you being a fool. Your house is cursed and your children are not safe. Oof. Terrible, terrible words. How does he even get there? How do you get to that place? You go, well, I just tell it like it is. I just say what I see. No, no, you don't know what God is doing. This reminds me of the story about the disciples, you know, who sinned, this man or his father? There's a presumption that somebody sinned, and Jesus goes, neither. What does he say? This is that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. Do we even make that a category? If someone is suffering deeply, if they're in deep pain, is there any category in our life as believers in Christ that we say, this is done that the glory of God might be made known in your life? Maybe it's you. Maybe you've gone through some things, and you're like, there is nothing good can come from this. By the way, it's the failure of Job here, too. He presumes the end, the end, there's no restoration. We're going to hear that. Do you have a category that God has walked you through the things of your life so that in his perfect time, he would be glorified with restoration that he does? Redemption. See, there's no category for it. One last stop. Chapter five, verse eight. But if I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. Dangerous words. Dangerous words. He sees Job suffering, and he says, you know what, Job, if I was you, you ever said that to somebody? You know, if I was you, this is, no, you, you, would, you wouldn't because you aren't. That's not your life. Your experiences are different than that person's. Whatever they're doing, they're doing for a purpose, for a reason. And, and not only is he saying, if I were you, I would do this differently. He's questioning that Job isn't already doing it. What's Job doing? 
He's, who is he crying out to when he says, I wish I was never born. I wish I was never conceived. Listen to me. I want to be very practical. When we see friends who are questioning everything, it can terrify us. But the truth is that um, in, 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 that, in that way, they're crying out to their maker, to God himself. Don't question the legitimacy of that. If I were you, I would make my cause known before God. Give me a break, Eliphaz. What do you think he's doing? What do you think he's doing? Dangerous words, if I were you. What's a better thing we can say practically? Here's one I use. I cannot imagine what you're going through. Because I can't. I didn't lose my husband or lose my wife or lose my child or I didn't lose my job or have my spouse leave me. I didn't, you know, have my parent disown me. I didn't, I mean, the stories of tragedy are just unbelievable in our lives. Don't be so presumptuous. I can't imagine what you're going through. Here's something we say often too. That reminds me whenever I went, no, 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 no. No, you can, you can empathize. I'm not mad about it. But we go so quickly to try to normalize and rationalize the experience of a friend who's suffering. Don't do it. I can't imagine. Told you before, we have a right to grieve with someone. Seven days, seven nights on the hill. This stinks. What does Job need then? So we're going to leave Eliphaz alone for now. What does Job need then? Job needs faithful kindness. Faithful kindness. Job replies and he says, you have been no help to me. You have been no help to me. You see something dreadful and you are afraid. See, Job recognizes in the moment when Eliphaz has to say something, it's because he's uncomfortable with Job's suffering. Why? Because that could be him next. If, if he was on the ash heap with no explanation, no understanding, lost everything, it's scary. And so many times in our life, we are uncomfortable with other people's suffering because it, recon- it, it shows us our own frailty. By the way, can I just say this is also why there's such an opportunity in times of hardship to draw near to God. It can kind of go either way there, that we're drawn near or we're repelled. You've proved me no help. You see something dreadful and you're afraid. Too often, we are scared. I'm kind of going quick here. We've got, we got to cover two more. They are shorter. Um, so one thing that Job asked for, let's see. Uh, he says, look at me. I'm trying to find the verses, y'all. Yeah, here we go. Well, I'm just going to read you. It's in there. <laughs> he says, just look at me. Look at my suffering. As a matter of fact, the first thing I think he said was, if all my suffering could be weighed, in verse 2, if all my suffering could be weighed and all my misery placed on scales, you would know. It would outweigh the sands of the seashore. But later on, he says, just look at me. He just ultimately needs his friends to look, to see, to, to not instantly offer an opinion, but to watch and, and, and observe his suffering. I think often about this idea of witness and what, we, what we're called to do when we witness. And witness can mean to say something. You know, I'm, I'm a bear witness. But witness can also mean just to watch. Don't think that's nothing to just sit with people in their grief, in their hardship, and watch. And let me tell you this, church, it's hard to do. It's hard to do because it opens up some vulnerable part of our own life that we're not so sure that life is fair. We're not so sure that the good uh, don't suffer or the evil always do. 
Just look to see my suffering, he says. Look and see my innocence. Listen, look and see my experience. You know me. And then here's the last thing I think he wants them to see. Look at my injustice. In some fundamental way, Job is saying, this is not right. What you're witnessing is not right. And you know, the funny thing is, and I mean right in the sense of Job's perspective, because in God's perspective, he's doing something. But in Job's perspective, he's right. And God would say, yeah, for Job, this wouldn't be right. This didn't, he didn't earn this. He didn't deserve this. Matter of fact, you'll recall, God says, you caused me to afflict him for no reason. Job's suffering has revealed to him mankind's own suffering. And so he then begins to open up and, uh, in like round seven, and he says, uh, do not, uh, do not man, does not man's hard service on earth uh, linger on? Are not all his days like the hired man, like a slave longing for eating shadows, like a hired man waiting for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility and ninths of misery. Here's some idea of, by the way, how long he's been suffering. And have been assigned, they've been assigned to me. I lay down and I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on. I toss and turn till dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And they come to an end, here's the word says, without hope. So something about Job's own suffering makes him aware of other people's, like the plight of mankind. He gets, and this is going to happen throughout this whole book. He switches between his own personal suffering and philosophy and theology and then fighting with his friends pretty much is what it turns into. But his suffering has revealed to him mankind's suffering overall in the world. I have a, a line for this. I always say that experience builds empathy. This is what I'm saying about like you shouldn't probably youth pastor until you have teenagers. I'm just saying that. I don't know because the truth is that like you learn as you go and when you go through it, your eyes are open in new ways. And then the last thing is this. He cries out to God here, therefore, um, I will not keep silent. I will speak out the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. So he's going to give himself freedom to, to cry out to God, right? Um, because life is short, he says. Remember, O God, my life is short but a breath. That's verse 7. My eyes will never see happiness again. This is chapter 7, by the way. Chapter 7, verse 7. Um, and then he says, therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out the anguish of my spirit. I will complain with the bitterness of soul. But Job ultimately has no hope of physical resurrection. He believes that to die would be the end of it all, and he would not continue to suffer in any way. He believes that's it, death, and then we are done. It's the great equalizer. Now, on the heels of this, I'm just going to read the last lines. He says, he's crying out, If I have sinned, verse 20, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? And by the way, Job is replete with cries for Messiah. And here it is again. Why do you not pardon my, defense, my offenses and forgive my sins? Because I will soon lie down in dust, and you will search me, and I will be no more. So Job thinks, I'm not going to exist at all after all this. And on the heels of that, Talking to a life as Bildad is here, right? Bildad the Shuhite. And Bildad says this, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. And now here he's going to get, Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against, here it is, church. I mean, this is crazy. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. He just said that to him about the destruction of his own children. We know they sinned. That's why God did it. And God gave them over to their sin. But if you look to God and you plead with the Almighty, if you are pure...
Even now, he will rouse himself on your behalf, and he will restore your rightful place in the world. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous. Your future will be. I'm just going to stop here for Bildad for a second. Bildad doubts Job's experience. He just doubts it across the board. He knows why the kids were killed. He's got all the answers, and he's going he's gonna, to, like, this is his position He's offended for God. And by the way, this happens repeatedly throughout this, that, that the friends of Job get offended on, on God's behalf as if God ain't big enough to deal with Job. Okay? And so he steps in there and he says, how, you know, how can God pervert justice? He gave your kids over to their sin. I just, I can't hardly get my head around how painful that must have been to hear from someone that he respected and knew. And then he says this, but if you seek God, again, presuming that Job is not seeking God in his suffering, to presume that Job is not talking to God about how hard this all is, as if Job's own lament of his life isn't him crying out to the God who made him for restoration, for hope, for a future. You heard him say that, I have no hope. What does he say? Look at this, verse eight. Ask the former generations, and find out what their fathers have learned. Because we were born only yesterday and know nothing. And all our days on earth are a shadow. You know what he says? Heritage is our hope. Just remember what your grandpa believed and your dad believed. And remember what your great-grandpa believed. Remember what the Bible said. Remember all these things that came before. And it's like, wait a minute. Job is suffering in real time. And the only thing that Bildad offers is history for hope. I'm not saying there's no value in that, but it is funny that he presumes to say that heritage is where we can find hope. And then he goes on to call Job's uh, faith uh, weak. He says, um, let's see. Verse 13, such is the destiny of all who forget God. He's talking about Job here. So perishes the hope of the godless. What he trusts in is fragile. He's talking about Job's faith here. What he relies on is a spider's web. He leans on the web, but it gives way. He clings to it, but it does not hold him up. He's like a well-watered plant in the sunshine, spreading shoots over the garden. It entwines the roots and wraps around piles of rocks that looks for a place among the stones. But when it's torn from a spot, the place disowns it, saying, I never even saw you. So, I mean, Bildad's laying down like, Job, this whole thing, your faith is useless. The thing you're doing is useless and God isn't even paying attention to you. And how wrong could he be? How wrong could he be in doubting Job's own experience? He has no category again like Eliphaz for innocent suffering. I want to say it again. He has no category for innocent, blameless suffering. The righteous are right and the others are. Are, are evil, and it's clear, instant judgment all the time. And if you read through Bildad's, he's got one, uh, one chapter here. If you read through there, that's what he claims. What's Job need? Job replies in chapter 9. What does he need? Job needs a, uh, a mediator. This is where we're going to see it uh, come very clearly. Indeed, I know what, that this is true, but what can a mortal... How, how can a mortal be righteous before God? Though, 
one wished to dispute with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without their knowing it and overturns them in their anger. He shakes the earth from its place and he makes its pillars tremble. So Job fully acknowledges God's authority and power and his inability to argue with God directly. And yet he longs for this relationship. He longs to hear from God. Verse 11, when he passes by me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? You can say to him, who can say to him, what are you doing? God does not restrain his anger. Even the cohorts of Rahab covered a coward at his feet. By the way, there's a couple references in here to like uh, Rahab, and that's not Rahab the prostitute. That's actually probably a beast in, in the deep, right? So the, Job's going to get very cosmic in his suffering, talking about the way that God reveals uh, his grandeur and his glory. Um, verse 20 of chapter 9, even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. So he's not even claiming he's innocent. If I were blameless, I would pronounce, he would pronounce, my mouth would pronounce me guilty. But then look at 21. Although I am blameless, I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. What in the world's happening there? I want to say something real quick about this. God never calls Job righteous. He calls him blameless, or he calls him uh, blameless and upright, you recall. And so he calls him blameless and upright. He comes right at you. He has wizzy wig. He fears God and he shuns evil. These are Job's attributes. But there's a difference in the book of Job between being righteous and being innocent. And they're not the same thing. And so Job is innocent of wrongdoing in this way, but he is not righteous in and of himself. He has no right standing before God in who he is. And so that's why right there it says that. It says um, that... Uh, Although I am blameless, I have no concern. If I were blameless, my mouth would... He's basically saying, I'm going to confess against myself because I know I'm not worthy of God in some way. I'm, I'm missing this. And then he cries out. I'm trying to find it, church. He, he cries out. He says, yeah, 9.32. Listen to this. Chapter 9, verse 32. Man is... He is not like me. He's not like man like me that I might answer him. God's different from us that we might confront one another in court as equals. I don't get to challenge God as an equal, but listen to 33. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both. He's looking for a media here. Look at 34. Someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would not frighten me any longer. Then I could speak to him without fear, but as it stands now, I cannot. And so Job, and this is a very clear call to a, needing someone between him and God to make things right. He needs someone to stand in the court and make a difference between these two who are, who are at odds with one another and who are completely different, right? Job says it. I'm down here. God's up there. There's no way for me to get to where he is, and he's right in condemning me. I'm hopelessly lost. But if only there were someone to stand between us in court, then I could stand fearlessly. I, I want to unpack that just for one second. Here's this idea. We're waiting for the Savior, Job is longing, even though he doesn't know what he's asking for, he's asking for a mediator to stand between him and God. Why? So that he could make his complaints without implication. I, this week I was sitting with a friend of mine and he's having a hard time and he said, I haven't prayed in so long and he's like, I actually found myself cussing at God. I'm like, yeah. I wasn't like, good job, but I was like, okay, you know, 
Is God surprised that in my friend's heart, he's so frustrated that he would cuss at his maker? Not cursing, frustrated, cussing. There's a mediator. He says, what? If I had one, I could speak without fear of him because he's on my side. As it is now, I cannot speak without fear. This idea that there's this freedom in a Messiah that would take us as we are, brokenness and all, and that he would restore us to God's intention. I'm trying to say something there, that he would make us right with God. It's a longing for a Messiah. He goes on to say, mankind has no hope for arguing. Uh, God and all of his uh, creation is glorified. He, he, by the way, uh, alludes to um, Orion, uh, the, the, the constellations in the sky, right? And uh, we use that in our series artwork, the glory of God being revealed through all of creation, the night sky. Um, also, that would have something to do with the Midianites and the Eastern peoples and all these kind of influences they're seeing. Last one, Zophar, chapter 11. Then Zophar the Namathite replied, are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? He's, he's on Job here pretty hard. Will your idle talk reduce men to silence? He feels like Job trying to out-talk him. Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish, listen to the word, God would speak. Here's so far. Oh, how I wish God would speak that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. The true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Can I say something real quick? That's not true. That's not true. So far is so frustrated that, that Job is pushing back on this kind of wisdom they're dropping on him, they start to say things. There's this idea, and I can't unpack this today, but there's this idea that um, uh, forgiving is forgetting. It says, I choose to remember your sins no more. That's right, but it doesn't mean that he forgets our sin. He knows our sin, church. God knows our sin. What is friend three so far doing? He's being judgmental. He's standing in the place of God. Idle talk to silence us. Oh, I wish God would speak. Can I say something so far here? Be careful what you wish for or assume. Why would I say that? Because in the end of this book, God does speak. And Zophar has to offer sacrifices to Job. Why? Because he sinned against him. Because Zophar is wrong. That God would forget sin? No. He goes on to say this. Yet if you devote your heart to him, you'll be fine. I, I call this the... Um, the uh, prosperity gospel of Zophar, right? If you just do a little more, Job, if you just be a little more better, if you just act a little better, then you're gonna be okay, Job. You can do it. He's kind of cheerleading him on. You gotta find it within you, Job. You can, this is in you. You got this. And Job's like, I don't got this. I don't have it. And Zophar goes on to say that. Yet, look at 13. Yet if you devote yourself to him, if you stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that's in your life, if you allow no evil in your tent, if you then lift up your face without shame, if you do all these things without fear, you will, you will surely forget all this trouble. It's all about what Job could do to get Job out of a situation. What's Job need? This is my theory for the book, by the way. Job needs to hear from God in the end. He's waiting to hear from God. I wonder, um, as Job, uh, doubtless, you, listen, to, let's read two verses here. 
12, verse 2. Job says this, doubtless you are the people and wisdom will die with you. In other words, doubtless you're the only people who have wisdom and it's going to perish with you. But I have a mind as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? Uh, so far as judging Job as if Job is beneath him, I want to say something to you, church. How often do we show up in lives of people and think that they're not as qualified, as gifted, as spiritually wise as we are? Mike said something this morning, uh, Sapienza. He said, God's going to go before us in this trip, right? How, who do we think we are that we show up and we think God isn't already working in their life when we walk through the door? That we're going to bring the wisdom, that we're going to bring the solution that we're gonna rightly judge everything and we're gonna have the right words. It's a fundamental brokenness in so far as it. He comes in judging Job. Job needs to hear from God. I wonder this, church, are his friends' words helpful or are his friends' words in the way? Zophar goes on, or Job goes on to rebuke Zophar and, and, and talk about but he needs to know. And this is the first time where we see him switch. He's talking to his friends, and then he just starts talking to God. I have a working theory that sometimes we are in the way of people's own struggle with God, that we give those cheap answers, those easy answers, and we just try to cut them off at the pass and not let them wrestle with God. Chapter 14, verse 13, Job crying out says, if only you would hide me in the grave. If only you would conceal me until your anger has passed. If only you would set a time and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call, I will answer. You will long for the creature that your hands have made. And surely then you will count my steps, listen to the word, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. Why? Because you will cover my sin. It's not about forgetting. Job's like, my only hope is that you're gonna provide a solution. My only hope is that you're gonna cover my sin. Listen to what he says. You are gonna count my steps and then forgive my sin. Not a, not a lack of remembering, not a forgetful God, but God who knows, recognizes, and offers a solution anyway. Job is longing for resurrection, hoping he doesn't even know it. I wanna say this to you, church. We were talking about Job and his great suffering. In some way, Job is a allusion to Christ himself. How? Job didn't deserve what happened. Christ all the more. Job wrestled with God. Christ all the more. You say, what do you mean? Wrestle himself. He goes to the cross to answer Job's plea. Oh, that I had a mediator who would Cover my sin. Everything, uh, this is the thing, everything in the Bible is pushing toward the moment of God's 
restoration in Jesus Christ. And it's absolutely true. And the glimpses we get of Job's suffering are nothing compared to the suffering of Christ. And the, the hope that Job has is nothing compared to the hope we have in Christ. I want to close with this idea here. Do you think wrongly that God needs just to forget some of your sin and then you'll be okay? You think, well, if he really knew me, how I am, what I've done, he wouldn't love me then. No. It's not what the Bible says of God. It says this. He knows every sin. He knows every failure. He knows every broken heart and broken word and messed up life and stupid situation. And after taking travailing, listen to me now, in my own life, it's overwhelming, but all of our lives and indeed all of the world, surveilling it all, he looks at it and he says, and I'm going to make it right. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, will make it right on the cross. He doesn't discount it. He pays for it. He doesn't ignore it. He redeems it. And this is the hope of the gospel. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and revelation. And even those friends, and I don't know if others here like me, but I just hear myself in them doing these dumb things whenever brothers and sisters are struggling and wrestling. Father, that we would be more like you, that we would have more confidence in you that in those moments that we think we have to say things or do things or be right or act right or that we can just trust that you are doing something that we can't do. Father, maybe it's us today. Maybe there's unhealed hurts or broken places that are still longing for that redemption that Job so clearly clamors for. Would you work in those places? Would you come into our lives in those ways? Father God, would you manifest your glory and refute the liar who would say we deserve it, that you're not good, that it's not for an intended purpose, but that we would just rest in you and know you. God, would you teach us how suffering draws us nearer to you, that we would not be a people who are false but who know you, and then would not be false to others, but would know them as well. We love you so much. We thank you for the work that you are doing. In Christ's name, amen.